prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for each testimony shared tonight. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we just ask, uh, we will ask in a few minutes, Lord, but we just want to say thank you for providing, for keeping us safe, for all of the things that you have done. And Lord, we thank you for your answers to prayer and Lord, the promise of a home in heaven, we thank and praise you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're 12 or under, to head out with Mrs. Montoro, the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and review another familiar passage of Scripture, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, every so often, uh, I believe as a church, as individuals, uh, we need to take a few minutes and just review uh, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And, and to be reminded, the fruit of a peach tree is peaches. Amen? Uh, a fruit of an apple tree is apples. And I, I'm not trying to be snide or, or uh, anything at all here, but what... What we're talking about is the fruit of the Spirit. The, these are not things that you generate in yourself. Uh, there are so many people that try to portray the Holy Spirit as, uh, uh, well, the best example I know is a magneto on a Model T Ford. But uh, how many people here even know what a magneto is? Uh, they are still used in airplanes. And there is a reason for that. See, modern cars have what's called an alternator. That's what provides the uh, energy, the electricity that makes the spark plug spark and the engine run. Uh, But if you're in a plane up in the air, you don't want to depend on an alternator because if your engine cuts out, then you have no spark for your spark plugs. Or if the alternator burns out, you have no spark. And no spark, no fly. Uh, It's a very dangerous situation. Now, what a magneto is, is the magneto is the forerunner of the alternator. As the engine turns, all you have to do to produce a spark with the magneto is turn. So if your engine quits running, you can... Put it in neutral, and the air will spin your propeller, and you'll still get a spark to restart your engine. Now, this is, this is a, uh, one of those illustrations that you have to spend more time illustrating, understanding the illustration. But the point being is people treat the Holy Spirit just like a magneto. It's something that they have to rev up inside themselves. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. That's just you. And human beings have great abilities. God created us in, in a marvelous way. And some of the things that human beings are capable of are what we would call borderline miraculous. And we would say, wow, how did that person do that? How did they... Uh, manage that feat of strength. The human body is capable of doing things that is sometimes beyond our own understanding. 
But that's still not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Almighty God. How many of you remember how we were created originally in the image of God? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Plural pronouns. Now, there's quite a bit of variety in the human genome. Uh, And if you've ever wondered about... Uh, whether God has a sense of humor or not, I would just suggest that you go get a Starbucks and sit on Steinway Street and just watch the people go by. And, and you will very quickly become aware that God does have an incredible sense of humor. Uh, I mean, people are all different shapes, all different sizes, all different uh, everything, but they're all people. So... We're not created in the image of God based on our shape, our size, our color, or, and it's got to be deeper than that. Amen? We have a body. That's what everyone sees. How about Jesus had a body and lived here on earth? Amen? But is your body all that you are? Is the human being the same as the dogs and the cats? I mean, there are people that believe that. Uh, There are people that believe that uh, porpi, that's the plural of porpoises, uh, of a porpoise, uh, you're not supposed to say porpoises, uh, that they are more intelligent than human beings. And, uh, I mean, I guess if you went out and just walked up and down the sidewalks on Saturday night late, you you would tend to believe that, having viewed some of the uh, nightlife that exists in our city. But that's not true. We're not animals. We're different. There is a marked difference between the most intelligent chimpanzee and a human being. And that is what we call the soul. God the Father. Emotions. Intellect. And yet God has another part, does he not? God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Man was created in God's image. We have a body. We have a soul. When man was originally created in the Garden of Eden, Adam had a spirit. He had a part of him that had direct contact with God, just like the Holy Spirit of God has contact with us today. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. Why? So that we can talk to God. Because our spirit died the day that Adam and Eve said, well, it's fault. No, Adam did it too now. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And they died. They were cut off from God. When you get saved, when you're born again the Bible way, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And if... The Holy Spirit is living in you. Ought not the Holy Spirit be, should not the Holy Spirit, ought the Holy Spirit be produce, ought the Holy Spirit produce fruit. That's what this passage is talking about. If, if we are dwelling in the flesh, if we are dwelling for ourselves, if we're doing things our way, there's certain fruit that's going to be there. Just try to drive the Grand Central Parkway at rush hour. 
you will see the fruit of carnal nature just making itself very plain. Uh, there's got to be somebody that goes first. And I mean, it doesn't matter how many uh, people they run off the road, they're going to go first. Well, that's carnal human nature, is it not? If the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, the Holy Spirit ought to be producing fruit. Now, we're not going to make a series out of this as we have in the past. I'm going to try to be careful with our time tonight and just give a summary here. But we want the Bible to define these things. This fruit belongs to the Spirit. And this is what Paul was talking about in Thessalonians when he says, quench not the Spirit. Thessalonians chapter 5, you can hinder the Spirit's working. And by the way, let's just be very careful and be very plain. We do not believe in the modern day imitation of biblical speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit does not give you dreams and visions. If the Holy Spirit is working in you, read... Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what are you supposed to do? Ye shall be witnesses unto me. It doesn't say a word about speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 1. It doesn't talk about signs and wonders there are no signs today because god's words already been proved by those signs what we need is we need the honest simple working of the holy spirit in our lives the holy spirit is supposed to be doing things and when the holy spirit does things i want to tell you I want to make, uh, make you aware, under no uncertain terms, it is measurable and it's always connected to the words of this book called the Bible. The Holy Spirit is going to try to work. If the Holy Spirit's working in you, He's going to give you an understanding of the Scripture so you can be a witness of Jesus Christ. Uh, we talk, the Bible talks about gifts of the Spirit to be used in the church. Guess what? God cannot use you to serve Him the way you are. He's got to fix you. We talked a little bit about that this morning. That, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're not looking for people with talent or abilities. We're looking for people who will surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. You see, if the Holy Spirit's doing the work, He will give you what you need to get the work done. And what you need is the fruit of the Spirit. Let's just start in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and being one another. Now, as Paul is writing here, he says, The fruit of the Spirit in opposition, in comparison to the fruits of the flesh... Um, 
or the works of the flesh, as in verse 19, the first is love. And say, oh, listen, I know I have the Holy Spirit because I just love everybody. Could, could we allow uh, just a little bit of space for honesty? No one loves everybody. That's just not true. You, you may think that of yourself, but as a pastor, I'm here to tell you, that's not true. And that's not what this verse is talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Could we allow the Bible to define love? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, one of the most often quoted verses of our entire Bible. If you know it, say it with me. God is love. Oh, wait a minute. Would the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, could that just be the physical presence of Almighty God in my life? Uh, Yeah, that's what it's talking about. If Jesus, who is God, by the way, uh, I, I don't know how to ask this. I hope you don't mind hearing it over and over again. But if Jesus were to sleep on your couch for the next 30 days or take up residence in your apartment, would things change? Oh, 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 yeah. I mean, what if he was looking over your shoulder before you erase your browsing history? Would you be happy with that? Uh, Would you be happy if the Lord were standing there listening in on every phone conversation and And following you around, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is love. The ever-presence of the Creator God in our life. You see, that's why we're supposed to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Because the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I love the little, I think it's a made-up story about the little boy who goes to his daddy and he says, Daddy, how tall is Jesus? He said, well, well, son, he is the Son of God. No, no, I meant when he walked on earth, how tall was he? He says, well, son, we don't know. Uh, I mean, he was the average height of a Jewish man at that time, probably uh, you know, about five and a half foot tall. Maybe he was six foot, we don't know. What, what is so important? He says, well, Dad, you don't understand. He said, I got saved and, uh, and I'm only four foot and a half tall. If Jesus is taller than that, he's got to be sticking out somewhere, right? Now, I think some preacher made that up, but you get the point, don't you? If Jesus is living in us, he ought to be sticking out. There, there ought to be a visible, this is the fruit of the Spirit, love. What's the next one? Joy. Every time I preach on joy, and I don't think I preach enough on it, but every time I preach on joy, everybody, yeah, I need more joy. I could use some more joy. It would be better if you preach more on joy. And there's a lot of places where you go, and and, uh, uh, joy is a rock band on the stage, and everybody bouncing around, yeah, we got the joy of the Lord. 
No, that's not joy of the Lord. Uh, my mama used to call it the heebie-jeebies. I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, but when we got moving around too much and jumping up and down, she said we had them. And she had a very good cure for them and got rid of them on a, on a rather quick uh, ability. Uh, no, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, why were they crying in Nehemiah chapter 8? Why did they have to be reminded? Because many of these people, for the first time in their life, had heard the Word of God read. Now, that's hard for us to fathom because we carry a Bible around. We can carry it in our pocket. I think I have three or four different Bible programs on my phone for different reasons. Uh, uh, reading and other things. That was the first time some of those people had ever heard the words of God read aloud. They couldn't take a copy home. That would have been very difficult. The Isaiah scroll was about four foot tall and 60 foot long. Uh, you just couldn't stick one of those in your knapsack and go riding down on your bicycle. You couldn't do it. It was too. They were kept in the libraries, and they had heard the word of God, and they understood how different their lives were from what the Bible said, and they wept. But they were told to rejoice in the fact that God forgives sins. That's why I told them to eat the sacrifice to sacrifice to God as they should, to understand that the greatest gift that God has given us is this book called the Bible. Jesus said that we're to pray in His name. Why? So that we can have answers to prayer and that our joy might be fulfilled, might be full. How in the world can you pray and know God's going to answer your prayers? Well, that's really easy when you start praying for what God wants to do. Amen? When, when we learn to pray, when we learn to love the things that God loves, does that kind of include the Holy Spirit getting more control over our lives and our thought processes? All right, there's your joy now, isn't it? God wants His will done. My strength in continuing is learning to love the things that God loves. What's the next one? Peace. Oh, my. Every time I hear that word, I'm sorry, my mind just goes to that wretched place. On the uh, east side of Manhattan, you can see it as you cross any of the bridges here. The United Nations building, one of the bloodiest and most vile monuments to man's depravity is the United Nations. Uh, if you think it's good, you, 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 need, to, you need to read the history. It's, it's not a nice place. The things that they have done over these years... But that's man's best... I do want to say this in defense of the United Nations. It's man's best attempt in all of history to bring peace. It is the best thing that man has ever done. And it's terrible. It really is. 
But if you want peace, you know what peace is the absence of all of that ajita that whelms up within us? Peace is, this is what the psalmist in the 23rd Psalm, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Peace is being able to trust God in spite of what everything else is going on and everyone else is doing. How many of us say, wow, I need some more peace? Well, let's just stop here. Love is the presence of God. Joy is learning to allow God's presence to direct my thoughts and my desires so that my desires will line up with God. And peace allows me to put up with the opposition that the world has against aligning my life with God's. What's the next one? Oh, the next one is the tough one. Long-suffering. How many of you needed... Uh, dictionary definition of the word long-suffering. It just means exactly what it says. Now, how many of you would with me say amen and rejoice in the patience of God toward us? Amen? Now, how many of you are ready to be patient with God? You know what? He hasn't come back yet. How many of you wish he'd come back? Say, yeah, uh, that'll be the end of all of this suffering and all these problems. And uh, I would, I would really love for the Lord to come back after we tear up the sidewalk and before we pour the new one. That would be great. Uh, Because then we'll leave a bad sidewalk and the Antichrist will have difficulty using the church. Amen? Uh, that's just my thinking. Please humor my uh, strange and weird way of looking at life. But I I do want us to understand something. The word long-suffering means patient endurance of provocation or trial. The Lord leaves us here for a reason. We have got things to do. You know, we've been through quite a struggle. There were six people at Community Baptist Church this morning, including three hails. So, I mean, that's not good. But at least it wasn't nobody. Amen? And uh, the, the point being is the reason why we have lost people who were attending And some of the members that there weren't very many to start with was because we're trying to get the church back to the place where they started on simple Bible doctrine. Praise God. Last Sunday morning, we voted on a new constitution and bylaws that basically accomplished that. That's an answer to prayer. You know what? We're not going to give up. I like what one man said, Brother Robert. He's the treasurer, one of the trustees of the church. He said, I'm not a quitter. If everybody else quits, I'm not quitting. I said, well, neither is Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's go. 
And we want to praise the Lord for that. Long-suffering is continually doing right, even when it doesn't seem like doing right does any good. What's the world saying? The good guy always finishes last. Good guy dies. What is it? The good guy dies young or something like that. That that's not true. I used to work in the nursing home. Uh, let let me tell you. Love is the presence of God. Joy is getting my heart lined up with God's heart. Peace is being able to put up with the world so that I can obey God. Long-suffering is enduring the provocation of the world. You know, sometimes the world, I don't know if you've ever had a, a, um, a fellow employee or someone you had, family members sometimes, who or just keep poking and tor- trying to torment you. You know, one thing I found out the hard way many years ago was that some of that is their attempt to make me act like them so that they will have an excuse not to believe in Jesus. How are you going to put up with people? Here's the way we normally do. I'm not going to get mad. I am not going to get even. I am going to blow my top. That's what we do. There is only one thing that stops that. It is the work, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's not going to give you long suffering until you get love, joy, peace first. They build on each other. You see, the next one is gentleness. Now, gentleness is something that is absolutely wonderful. How many of you have ever been in a situation where somebody had a right and a reason to treat you less than gentle? And they did. You ever been there? Where you just really messed up and you, you just deserve to be... Yelled at, disciplined, whatever you want to put it, fired, whatever the thing is. And the person said, listen, I want, to, I want you to understand something. We're, we're working on building people here. And you say, that's never happened at my work. Well, it happens when we serve God. And if God is gentle with us, Shouldn't we be gentle with others? Uh, there is some kindness that could just be used. And let me tell you where you get kindness. Is you go to God and you start realizing all of the kind things that He's done for me. And say, Lord, let me carry a little bit of that to someone else. By the way, the idea of gentleness here, the word gentle uh, comes from the word gentleman. Its primary definition is high-born, 
Now, this is something that we do not really understand in America, and purposely so. We have uh, derided all titles and, and levels of uh, humanity. We, we as Americans believe that all men were created equal. Uh, uh, unless you're a politician, then you're just a little more equal than everybody else, right? Um, the truth of the matter is, the, the idea of a gentleman in Old England, when our King James Bible was translated, had much more to do than crumpets and tea, to, I mean, all that foolishness there. A gentleman was a landowner. A gentleman had not only his manner, but he had literally uh, dozens, sometimes hundreds of people that lived on his property and helped support his manner. And he was charged with conducting that micro-state, we might call it, that mini-society in such a way that helped everyone. If a gentleman administered his property and his area of, uh, of ownership well, what happened was everybody lived well. It, it's really the model. It was really what was Thomas Jefferson was talking about when he wrote the Declaration of Independence and coined the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. It is the right to behave in such a way that not only benefits me, but everybody I come into contact with. A gentleman had responsibilities to enhance the life of those around him. Couldn't we use a little bit of that? Because the next one is goodness. Just simply being good. But can you be good? There is none that doeth right. No, not one. Jesus told the rich, um, the rich young ruler, there is none good save one that is God. So where do we get goodness? Well, you're going to have to borrow that from the Holy Spirit. He is going to have to have enough charge in your life that His goodness bears fruit in your actions. Do we get the connection there? And and then the next is faith. Why is faith so far down the line? Because faith that's not tempered by gentleness and goodness can really be perverse. Uh, I'm... I think I've told the story more than once, but I met a man. He said, listen, he said, I know how to pray. God answers my prayer. I am a man of faith. And I'm just sitting there going, ah. uh, I knew the rest of what was coming on was going to be terrible. And uh, he said, yeah, let me tell you. He said, the other day, I, 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 I was just sitting in my car and the Lord said, go get a bag of groceries. And so I go went and got a bag of groceries and The Lord told me to turn right here and turn left here and knock on the third door and give the groceries to the person behind the door. And I did. And they said, oh, thank you. You you answered my prayer. And I'm sitting there. I'm a little cynical. I I admit, sarcastic sometimes, trying to illustrate a point. 
What would you do if some weirdo knocked on your door with a bag of groceries saying, God sent me to give you groceries? And say, thank you very much. Uh, Amen. Now, when are you leaving? (laughs) I want to get on the other side of this door. Because the God of the Bible doesn't work that way. That is your own imagination. Propping yourself up to be something that God has. That's not goodness. When God works and faith comes in. You know, we haven't done this yet. Uh, I guess we need to. Would you mind if we had just a short business meeting to illustrate faith? Um, We have a May offering for Heartland. Uh, I'd like to report to you that our giving last year to the May offering of Heartland Baptist Bible College was $10,000. That is faith. Because we're not a big church. We're not a rich church. You say, why do we give so much to Heartland? Let me tell you, we have yet to pay the full price for our students that we have sent, let alone helping other churches. 40% of the uh, tuition, every student at Heartland gets a 40% scholarship because churches support the school. And let me tell you, we have spent a lot of money. We we give over $100,000 to missions every year as our little church. But when we support Heartland, I think last year... What was it, 68 or 9 graduates, something like that? I can't remember. A couple years ago, how many? That's about right, isn't it? Uh, Three years ago, it was 102 graduates. Uh, Several years before that, they have uh, a little over 430 students on campus right now training for the ministry. We can have a part in that. So... Could we re-up this year? Uh, I can't do that on my own. You you voted on it last year. Brother Jason makes the motion. Uh, Brother Leland makes the second. Brother Henry's in agreement there, just a little slower than than Leland was. And and all in favor of of doing what we did last year, we send the money every month when you give to missions. Uh, We send Heartland a check every month, and we praise the Lord for that. All in favor? Amen. Any opposed? And uh, what we're trying to do is, and one of the reasons I support Heartland the way I do is because, uh, the way I encourage you to, I should say, because you're the one that's given the money, is when students come out of Heartland, they love the Bible. The preachers know how to preach. How many of you are glad for Andrew and Jason and Leland and, uh, and others that have preached here? Uh, how many, uh, I mean, I'm amazed when Stephen preaches. I'm sitting there going, wow, where in the world did this guy get this? He must take after his dad, huh? No. <laughs> I spent four years in Bible college and my tuition in the 1980s was more, just my tuition was more than the room and board at Heartland is today. And I preached 
two five-minute sermons and one seven-minute sermon in four years, and I was supposed to be ready for the ministry. I'm still a little upset about that. I, I feel like I got cheated. But I'll tell you, I was where I was supposed to be, and God has given me an opportunity and some very patient people here that put up with my preaching, uh, and I enjoy it, and I hope you do too. But you see, this is what faith is all about. It's doing things according to God's Word. And the Bible tells us that we need to train people for the ministry. And Heartland does a better job than anyone else. What's the next one? Meekness. You know, meekness is one of those strange words in the Bible. And I just want to remind you, who was the meekest man in the Bible? Moses. He was meek above all men, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Moses was the one that stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go. Moses was the one that stretched his rod out over the Red Sea and it opened up and the children of Israel went through and he took it down and the armies of Pharaoh were drowned. If that's meekness, I could use some of that. How about you? Hello? Can I give you a different definition of meekness? You can't find this one in the dictionary. Meekness is operating under the authority of another. It's not about me. It's fulfilling the office that God has given me. My favorite illustration is the new recruit out of the NYPD Police Academy. Uh, They've changed the standards over the years, and we have some miniature police officers uh, now because they, you know, they're, they're not allowed to make height requirements like they used to and and all of these things, and and you got this little 120-pound soaking wet police officer putting her hand up, and an 80,000-pound semi goes, why? Because that little police officer has all kinds of power. No. That little police officer has a badge that says they have the authority to make that truck stop, and that truck knows he'd better stop or he's going to have 33,000 other police officers on his case, or her case as the case may be. Uh, There's authority there. That's meekness. We serve the creator of the universe. We don't need to be afraid to obey God. That's meekness. But I'll tell you, it's really close to arrogance if we separate ourselves from the words of this book called the Bible. I don't know how many people I've met over the years. Well, I just think that, well, I'm not trying to be mean, rude, or anything else. But I don't care what you think. If the Bible already says something, then meekness means we need to obey the Word of God. That's why we're big on local church. Amen? The Bible tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be where God tells us to be. You know what the last fruit of the Spirit is? Temperance. That is the most wonderful thing in the world. Have you ever been around a truly temperate person? 
no matter which way they're pressed, they're like the needle on a compass. They're always pointing to Jesus. Amen? No matter what happens, I think of the man that wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. How many of you remember the story of that hymn? As Horatio Spafford looked over the uh, railing of a ship where just less than a week before another ship had sunk, taking his family into the icy North Atlantic waters and only his wife survived, his children all drowned. And he had asked the captain to come and get him so that he could just look at the spot where his children were buried in the sea. And as he leaned over that rail, looking into the dark, murky waters in the middle of the night, the words of that song came into his heart. And he's sitting there going, wow, I couldn't do that. But God didn't call on me to do that. And he wrote that song. It is well. It is well with my soul. That's temperance. You see, when the Holy Spirit is driving the vehicle, I don't need to worry about where I'm going now, do I? I don't need to get upset. I don't know about others, but I'm a really terrible backseat driver. That's why I like to drive. I'll let other people get nervous about my driving, but I don't like to get nervous about theirs. You see, that's the way we all are. But when we let the Holy Spirit be in control... We're going to be like that needle on the compass no matter what you do. We're always going to be pointing to Jesus. Now, every so often we need to take a few minutes and just do what I like to call a spiritual checkup. This is one of those things. This is a checklist. Is the Holy Spirit living in my life the way it should? Is the presence of God here? Is it recognizable? If it's not, we've got to start over again at the very beginning. That's what the altar is about for those that are saved. And joy. Am I just burdened down with everything that's going on in my life? Or am I allowing the desires and the work of God to give me my drive and my desire? Peace. Now that I've set, allowed the Holy Spirit to set the course of my life, can I put up with the other people who are against me? And they're going to be. That's why long-suffering comes in and gentleness. After gentleness is goodness, then we get to faith. So many people have done so many foolish things directly opposed to the Word of God claiming to serve God. You know why? Because they do not have goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, peace, joy, and love as the foundation for their faith. And so their faith is their own faith that they've made up themselves. That's what happened to the Pharisees in Jesus' day. 
But once we get operating in faith that is produced by the Holy Spirit of God, guess what? Things start happening. Amen? I can actually operate under the authority of Almighty God. That is meekness. And then comes temperance. People say we need to live a balanced life. Well, you try to balance. I want to try to serve. That, that's what temperance is. Is being able to serve God no matter what. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would embed in our mind and heart these words, these fruit that belong to the Holy Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit of God, if He were just simply allowed full course in our life, these would begin popping out just as the the buds on the trees in spring that bring the fruit that comes later in the summer and into the fall. Lord, we are desperately in need of the fruit of the Spirit, and I ask that you would work in the hearts of those here tonight that we would understand true Bible salvation and true fruit that comes from the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take just a moment here before we get into our actual prayer time tonight. And if you need to pray, uh, the altar's open. You can pray there at your seat and then we'll get into our prayer time.